0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson up in Queens, New York for the first time in four and a half months. He's Andre Fernandez getting ready for game week in Tallahassee as well. Dre, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, man. First first game week up here and can't wait for some real football, some real atmosphere again up here, but uh you, you know, you, I'm looking, again, looking at the backdrop of your hotel, man. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, it's been close to two years since I've been able to, to go to New York. So I'm a little jealous right now. I'm glad, glad you're getting the opportunity to go back up there.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a busy three days up here. Obviously, the Marlins are making up that suspended game back all the way back on April 11th. That went nine pitches in and why that game even started. I still am trying to figure that out. <laughs> But anyway, they'll pick up that game. Nine pitches
1: will force nine innings.
0: Yes. And nine pitches. You've got it tomorrow. Yep. And then we have the regularly scheduled game at seven o'clock. The resume game will take place at one. It'll be nine full innings. And then the regularly scheduled game will be at seven o'clock. It'll be seven innings because we're still under those rules from last year where double headers are supposed to be seven inning games. Mm-hmm. And we'll dive into that a little bit more in the second half of the show, but have some breaking news that, came up on Monday morning. Uh, Jake Eater, the highly touted left-handed pitching prospect, their fourth-round pick in the 2020 draft, who was really dazzling his first year of pro ball. He's going to undergo Tommy John surgery. He's going to miss the rest of this season and most likely miss all of 2022. This just, obviously the Marlins have a lot of pitching depth, but when a guy who was doing as well as he was, 177 ERA, 99 strikeouts and 15 starts, over 71 in the third innings, and really just jumping up there became a top 100 prospect to hear this type of news. Just this is just it's a, it's a serious blow.
1: Yeah, it's really a shame because you know, like we've been saying, the real losses from here on out is anything that happens, you know, in the farm system and anything like this. And this is, a, this is a tougher loss than any of the losses they'll take on the field the rest of the way because this is a guy who, like you said, he's really you've really seen a jump in his development. This year, I mean, he came in, you know, fresh out of Vanderbilt. You know, we know him local guy from Calvary Christian and all of that. And we've seen his track record, but you really wanted to see what is he going to end up being? Is he a starter? Is he a reliever at the at the pro at the major league level one day? And he's really taking a lot of good strides this season, really honing his pitch as well. He's putting together, you know, solid performances, you know, stringing those together well, too. And really just the makeup of him right now was tracking towards a pretty good, you know, jump potentially next season to get a little closer to that major league possibility. And now you're looking at him, not just missing the rest of this year, but there's even the fact that, I mean, I mean, that's rough when you're going to lose an entire year. And we've seen it happen with relievers or, or, or just pitchers in general or starters. That It's a, such a tough one to come back. I mean, nowadays, though, I will say this. I've, I've noticed guys have been able to bounce back strong from the procedure more than they used to in the yeah. past. And, you know, through rehab and just the way that it's done nowadays. So that's going to give him a, a little bit of an edge where you're not thinking like in the old days, you're we worried, is he going to be the same guy? That at least is something to look forward to, but the setback in time hurts a lot. I mean, you already had last year's setback for everyone losing all that potential time in the minors because of COVID. And now here we go again. So, you know, we hope hopefully for Jake's sake, he gets back out there sooner than later and is able to start throwing again and start working on his arm and all of that and, and, and can recover well from the procedure and, and, keep going because he had really, you know, it was, it was good to see him t- take those strides. Like I said before this year and and really looks like he's going to be a part of their future. If he can come back strong.
0: Yeah. People were saying that with how quickly he was working this year, there was a chance that if all worked out well, he could have potentially jumped over some people. Guy, Guy had a chance to make his big league debut as early as next year. Obviously that's going to be put on, that's going to be put on the side for a little bit, but this is also yet another reminder of, As we've said, and a certain former president of baseball operations has said, and a certain current general manager has said, you can never have enough starting pitching, having it layered across the organization. It's huge because not everything is going to work according to plan. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have setbacks. We saw it earlier this year already with Sixto Sanchez. He didn't throw a pitch at all this year and and ended up undergoing shoulder surgery. So you've lost two of your top guys in there. But then when you still look at what the Marlins have up at the big league level, and we'll go into all these guys in more detail in a little bit, but their rotation to end the year is going to most likely look like Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, Eliezer Hernandez, Jesus Lizardo, and Edward Cabrera. Pablo Lopez, we need to see what happens with him as he has a setback from that rotator cuff injury. Uh, Then you have that tier of guys who are in the triple-A, the the mid-tier prospects who – were closer to the big league development had some spot starts, the Braxton Garrett's, the Nick Neyers, the Jordan Holloways, the holdovers for this next big wave here with Max Meyer, Mm -hmm. Jake Eater, uh, the other guys from that draft class, Dax Fulton, Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambley, and even guys like 18-year-old Yuri Perez, who we've been gushing over for about a month now, who has been making strides and it's up in Beloit now. It's just being able to have everything and having it staggered enough where you have enough guys in each level of the development where yes, losing Jake and losing six. So this year hurts, but you still have the other guys waiting in the wings in that group as well. So it's not like you lose one guy or you lose two guys and that's everything.
1: You like, I mean, all those guys had setbacks this year. Yeah. I mean, from not just six though, but like, you know, we were waiting a while to, to finally see Edward Cabrera for different reasons, you know, Trevor off the field has had, you know, unfortunately some, some issues. Pablo, like you said, we're not sure if, if and when he's even going to come back, which is a shame because that was the whole thing was, you know, yeah, the season in terms of record is lost, but not for him personally to be able to come back and pitch and and salvage some of it and and finish strong. Now that may not happen. We don't know, you know, at at the beginning of the year, you know, until recently wasn't able to pitch as well. So yeah, twice. Yeah. So, so the depth is, is, paramount and more than ever this year but more more than ever once they get to that point where hopefully with fewer setbacks the team is built a little better to potentially contend down the road you definitely want to have all those guys and it's be, it's going to be good it's an important month you know you could say it over and over it's an important month from from a developmental standpoint all those guys you mentioned who are at various levels of where they're at right now to see them make jumps see them you know either either in incremental or maybe some, some strides that some noticeable strides that can be made in some of these games. I mean, that's what, that's the, the thing to look forward to in this last month and then not just on the pitching side, but you definitely want to see it also in terms of bats because that's where they're still hurting overall. I think as an, as an organization is it's getting enough of those quality hitters to, to balance that all of that depth in the future.
0: Yeah. We'll dive into some hitting stuff in the second half, but because we made a big deal about it last week and I did let you know Edward Cabrera made his debut last week. Uh, Dre, just I want to get your thoughts on how you feel he did in his six plus innings. Looked like he was really good through the first six, and then you saw him starting to get tired out in that seventh inning. What was your overall assessment evaluation of
1: Edward? I mean, the fact that he pitched into the seventh, I thought was impressive because of the fact that you don't always see that when a guy makes his debut, especially a guy coming off you know some of the wear and tear that he had, and, and we were trying to wait for him to finally get in there you know, after some physical issues earlier in the year. So to see that was definitely good. I mean, was the control great? Not at all. Not all the times he had a couple of walks. I think he had three walks in the in the start overall. Yeah. Um, so, you know, not the typical Edward. Gave up a couple of home runs. Not the typical Edward we're used to seeing. But you know what? Just to get him on the major league mound was big because it seemed like something kept getting in the way over and over. So to do that was well. I thought his performance overall was not bad, I would say, considering what we're expecting from him. The fastball was there; you saw some of the glimpses of that. The changeup in spots too was a little, maybe a little rough in the first time, but you know that it's going to be a quality pitch, and I think that's what was the impressive part too. When he did locate it well, you saw the potential there of what that can be because that was the scouting report on him was the fact of that mix that he had. You know, obviously the great the great velo on the fastball, but if he could balance it with a pretty wicked changeup there he was going to be a guy who could be a frontline starter down the road and still could be. So I think it was a good start. You, you saw some glimpses of that. Now let's see what he does. And he's going to be, you know, first up pretty much, if not first up second up in that double header. So another chance to see him and another chance for him to grow and, and pitch on the road too. you know, pitch on the road in that environment at, at city field will be a good experience for him.
0: Yeah. And the thing that impressed me the most, I mean, he only had two strikeouts, but again, it was four hits. Three the three runs are allowed on the two home runs in that seventh inning, but it seemed like he wasn't trying too hard. Like you know, a lot of guys when they make their debut, and yeah. they have the stuff that he does. They're going out there trying to throw a hundred, throw a hundred and one, yeah, throwing
1: a hundred and five, yeah. right? <laughs>
0: and he just he just let the game come to him. He used his defense a lot. He got I think it was double plays in three straight innings to to get out, of jam, out out of some of the early jams he got into. He only needed I think eight pitches for the first inning, nine pitches for the second. And then it was, and it was, okay, a runner's on. I know I've got Miguel Rojas and Brian Anderson behind me. They're going to make, make the plays if I get, make, if I get ground balls. He was focusing more on getting the weak contact than trying to whiz it past guys and try to get the strikeouts and the big pitches. And for a 23 year old who's been waiting for this moment to see him with that maturity early on in a moment like that, to me, to me, that's, that spoke volumes.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, you 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 took what I was going right there at the end. I was going to say exactly that. That's a sign of maturity. That's a welcome sight, definitely, for a guy that young, a guy with so so many expectations that this franchise has for him, and it probably shows too that he's been receptive to the coaching. Because you know, I'm sure Mel talked to him about that. Talked to him about you know that all those all the things you just said about just you know being patient and you know working to his strengths and not you know as much as you can drill that in. There's also guys where in the moment it's like you know, they just erase it from their minds. The adrenaline takes over and they forget everything that was told to them for the past couple of weeks, but that wasn't the case here. And that's a good sign too, that he was able to keep it, keep it all under control and remember what his game plan was.
0: Yeah. And one other person who was really instrumental in encouragement and feedback with Edward Cabrera was Sandy Alcantara. He was talking with him in the dugout throughout the entire game and We've talked so much about what Sandy has done on the field. We're going to talk a little bit more about him in a second, but to see that side of him, the off the field leadership side of Sandy Alcantara really take a step forward this year. Something I was really looking forward to. We saw him take six to Sanchez under his wing during spring training and know and say that I know he's the young guy. He's the next guy coming up. I need to make sure he's ready. And now he's doing it with Edward Cabrera as well, to me, that's, a great thing to see from Sandy, from because we know him more as the guy who's going to go on the mound, throw seven to eight innings, and then just dominate and just do his thing on the field. But to see him becoming more vocal off the field as well is a really good maturation step for Sandy.
1: Well, look, that's big because I mean we know Miguel Rojas is the captain, but to ha- you, you, it's good to have. Miggy's not out there, you know, in the bullpens, and he's not out there obviously with the pitchers all the time. So to have that sort of like that second captain, the co-captain sort of unofficially have Sandy be that guy is big for them, especially at this level of the development of these young arms that are all either up here already or on the way up for him to kind of be that guy. And, and just from getting to know Sandy personally, I, I mean, this was a couple of years ago already when, when I was down there in his hometown of Dominican. He has kind of that personality, but I think maybe it, was, it took him a little bit to get comfortable, and that can obviously happen where you 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 know you're not yourself totally until you kind of relax and you kind of get that feel with everybody and you're in the organization for a little while remember he was still at that point where he was trying to be a starter in that rotation just a starter period forget about frontline he was still trying to like it was so hoping it was going to work out for him when when we did that but in that in those two years since it's a, it's great to see that not just that he made it but the jump that he's made too and then from this kind of stuff that you're saying that's happening behind the scenes i mean i think that's just him you know, coming out of the shell, like really showing his own personality and what, how much he cares, not just for his own development, but to really be a part of something, you know, something they're trying to build over there. And it's been, and and, and also too, it's been very, it's been a rough go for a team that I think thought they were going to be, a well, not, I think they did think they were going to be a lot better than, they, than they've turned out to be this year. And, you know, that can have a dismal effect at times on, on a clubhouse and all of that. So voices like his, him doing that, complementing what guys like, let's say, Miggy and others can do is huge for where they are right now.
0: Yeah. And it also helps that Sandy has just been fly out dominant over the past month. Obviously, we obviously he had that one clunker in Colorado, gave up 10 runs in three and two thirds. But if you look at his other five starts, New York Yankees, seven shutout innings, 10 strikeouts, two hits against a playoff contender. San Diego mm-hmm. Padres, seven shutout innings, seven strikeouts, four hits against a team competing for a wild card spot on the road. Atlanta Braves, eight innings, five hits, one run allowed, seven strikeouts, playoff contender, division leader. At the Cincinnati Reds, seven innings, two two runs, ele- 11 strikeouts, four hits, team in the wild card. Cincinnati, again, his back-to-back starts. Another seven innings, one run, a career-high 12 strikeouts. If you put all that together, even with that clunker in Colorado, the three and two-thirds tenor runs, Sandy has a 3.18 ERA in the month of August over 39 and two-thirds innings. If you remove the Colorado game, the five starts against four playoff contending teams, he has a 1.00 ERA. Four <laughs> so runs in either. 36 innings. Yeah, That's just incredible. Yeah, that's pretty watch. sick.
1: Yeah no, no, it's pretty sick. No, no, no doubt about it. And then that plays into what we were saying a minute ago, throw that in there too. Look at the success he's having to the level of success that he's having. And it doesn't seem like it's going to his head. He's still going and helping, you know, the younger pitcher here and the younger pitcher there instead of like, you know what I mean? Like that can also play play an effect. And, you know, and then obviously that's going to, he's going to keep doing that. And there's going to be levels of success that he's going to have to learn how to handle little by little and keep adjusting and so forth. But it just plays into, again, here's a guy who was already an all-star once is just going to be in, if he keeps pitching like this, he's going to be in that conversation to be an all-star for the next few years. You know, all credit to him, both being able to become a pitcher like that and 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 learning to maintain himself at that level while still doing some of those off the field things as well.
0: Yeah, and to round out a couple other starting pitching things, Jesus Lizardo finally put a complete start together. <laughs> uh, career tied his career. Why did,
1: did he and they need that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, tied his career high with eight strikeouts through six shutout innings against Cincinnati Reds, and he did it while wearing his glasses for the first time this season. He was going. He before this season he was always oh, so he's Ricky Vaughn. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was wearing contact lenses beforehand, and now he said, you know what, let's mix it up. Let's go back to what I did before, and the results came. So, hey, who knows? Maybe, hey. go, maybe the Superman Clark Kent revert, reversal there is going to play off for him.
1: Okay, so he's not quite Ricky Vaughn because Ricky Vaughn wasn't even wearing contacts. But, But, yeah, the Clark Kent thing, I mean, yeah. Look, in all seriousness, though, I mean, that trade was looking pretty, pretty bad you know, for con- considering what happened right now. I mean, I know it's it's early. He's going to be with the franchise a while, not to completely panic, but this was pretty – even a, maybe a little overblown in the beginning of, of the expectation, but you, didn't, you thought that it wasn't going to be this bad the way he had been pitching, and to see what he did. I mean, I think also the way he did it too. I mean, the velo was – at times he maxed out at like high 97 around there, so he he amped it up a little bit at times. The average ended up being more or less the same as what he's been averaging all season in that sense. But I think he located better. You know, at times the the the, the curve, the change up, the usage was well there. And he just didn't get smacked around like we've seen throughout his starts so far this season. And that was encouraging, and especially against the Reds. You know, we're not talking about he wasn't doing this against the Orioles or or the D backs, you know, he was doing this against the team that's in the fight at one of the wild card spot holders right now, you know, a good lineup. So let's see, it's one start. So not to get crazy, it's one start, but let's see if Jesus can, can carry this over and use this and continue to build off of it. Because if he can, we're not looking so much at this season, but we're looking more at if he uses this, uses this to be able to stamp a rotation spot for himself next season.
0: Yeah. And the last two updates, Trevor Rogers did two rehab assignments last week with class. A Jupiter looked perfectly fine. His last one was five innings and 71 pitches. He is expected to be with the team in New York, but his next scheduled start should be mo- either Friday or Saturday when the team starts its next homestand. But again, to see him back after everything I went on personally and to see him looking like he's still in the shape that he was in before is a positive. And on the flip no side of, and then on the flip side of that, Pablo Lopez, rotator cuff injury, goes on the IL right after the All-Star break, hasn't started since before the All-Star break. Progress looks like it's going well, has a rehab start, throws three hitless innings, faces the minimum, then doesn't make his next scheduled start five days later. The Marlins say, yeah, it's a precaution. We're giving him an extra day. The training staff didn't like what they saw in something a day after. Two days later, we get told that, His rehab stint is being ended, and he's rejoined a team in Miami so they can watch him in person, oversee everything in person. The wording that we were given was they're continuing to be conservative with his rehab and that they don't plan on shutting him down at this point. But with that said, there's a month left in the season if he's not making the rehab starts and he's not built up. What? how much are you going to push him to get him back into the rotation considering it's his third shoulder injury in the last four years and considering you already have about six guys, if you include Zach Thompson, for a rotation spot at this point?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think you do. I really don't. I mean, I, I wouldn't, to be honest, because that's too delicate of, a, of an injury. I mean, if we were talking there, there were two, two and a half months left in the season and it was something you could figure out, within a month, let's say, fine. But why are you going to push him to come back for maybe one, maybe two at best starts, if that, if you're lucky? That doesn't mean anything. Let me be honest. At this point, you you already lost, unfortunately, what you were hoping to have, which was to have him for the full month of September and to finish strong, to carry that over into next year. That right now, pretty much, I mean, I know they haven't written it off completely, but it's probably out the window, and it sucks because that's the long-term concern with Pablo is, is, is the health issues because we've seen what he can do. He's a front, he's a, he's an established starting rotation piece for this team. But unfortunately these things, you know, have have come up for a while now in different ways. And like I said before, it stinks because, you know, it it, it hampers the potential of of this guy who we've known pretty well now to be that guy for several years as this franchise continues to build and, and hopefully get to where they want to get to, you know, and it doesn't mean he's not going to come back next year and he's not going to come back strong, but, you know, it's unfortunate. You just haven't been able to really see him put together that complete season where he could stay on the field and and really contribute to to the entire process. And you hope that he can, maybe one of these years. I mean, we've seen guys that be injury-prone year in and year out and and finally maybe at some point figure out a way to, to put it all together and, and stay on the field. Hopefully that's in Pablo's future. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a definite topic that's to, going to go on in the offseason when you also think about, as we've talked about this entire episode to this point, just the starting depth and all of the guys who are pushing up for spots. Are you going to reserve a spot for Pablo Lopez if there is no guarantee that just based off the track record, he's not going to make it past July July or early August at that point? It's going to be something they're going to have to yeah. take into consideration.
1: No, and I – no doubt about it. I mean, especially with all the arms that are coming up, they're they're on the way up right now and like you said, I mean, and then eventually next season you'll have another draft where you'll get you're where the undoubtedly they'll add even more guys into that mix. And then you know, you think I mean, Pablo's not a free agent until after 2024. He's coming up on arbitration though. So you know that that that's a. I think he is. I think he's he's arbitration eligible, if I'm not mistaken, next season already, isn't he? Correct. He's he's correct. entering that 2022. Correct. So he's at that point where it's not it's not urgent, urgent yet, but you're getting to that point where you are going to have to make some kind of decision. Are you going to have to? Are you going to continue to pay him and be? You know, have him be part of it. I mean, I think they want to do that in the in the short term, no doubt. But where does he land? At some point, he's going to have to be able to stay on the mound and sustain it the way we were saying before for them to feel like all right we can still count on him to be a part of this in the long run he's still 25 so it's not like he's you know really has a ton of mileage on him yet but it's more just you know the get like you said it's just where does the where do you balance that risk factor toward having more arms to come up i mean they haven't reached that point yet but it could happen at some point in the near future
0: No doubt about it. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back for the second half of the show, we're going to quickly preview what's going to be a very busy four days in New York, four games in three days in New York. And then go over a uh do a month month recap in the minor leagues. So we will be right back. We're back, everyone. And by the time this podcast airs, we will be a few hours away from the first of four games against the New York Mets at City Field, the first of which was a game that started way back on April 11th. Uh, again, nine pitches in, it was a complete monsoon by the time the game started, and they had to wait four four mo- four and a half months. I believe the tally is 142 days in between pitch nine and pitch 10.
1: And as much as we've said how the Marlins have changed since then, boy, have the Mets changed since then? I mean, what a you know a team that's really collapsed. I mean, now they're you've seen the the recent you know back and forth. Now the thumbs down, yeah. I mean, they're they're booing back at the fans for booing them. I mean, what a franchise those Mets, huh?
0: Yep. And the Marlins will get to face them ten times over this final month of the season including seven games up here. But to get to the first of the games, uh, just to recap where the Marlins were and where they are now, just in terms of what the lineup was. So again, remember, Corey Dickerson hit a a ground ball single and was on first base when the game got suspended. So you had Corey Dickerson Mm. leading off and in left field. You had Starling Marte in center field. You had Adam Duvall in right field. And the best part of it, John Curtis was the starting pitcher and Chad Wallach was catching
1: you're just, so, you're just saying that there's going to be some a decent amount of defensive substitutions to start this game. Just, just a few. Just a few.
0: And then you also had two of the Marlins, four, <laughs> four guys off the bench, uh, Garrett Cooper and John Birdie, are
1: injured. So just, a, just, just kind of a big box score. Yeah. Expect the kind of a big box score around, yeah. you know, or, around Tuesday evening
0: yeah I'm glad that I can just grab a new scorecard, start it from scratch, and then just completely do everything myself while I audit it. but
1: what... a lot of o, a lot of O for O's on on the line on the, on the box score there on, on, the, on both sides.
0: And the most interesting straight zeros is going to be John Curtis, a starting pitcher yeah. who throws zero pitches but is still designated as the starting pitcher because he was yeah. in the lineup when the game started. It'll be, based off yep. my research that I've been looking through all day, the first time it's ever happened. There have been 10 situations. Really? Yeah, I found 10 instances where a pitcher has thrown one pitch, and of course, the Marlins have the most recent two, Pablo Lopez this year, Jose Uranga in 2018, after they were both ejected for hitting Ronald Acuna Jr., right. but... I have not, I was not able to find an instance of a pitcher who was listed as the starter throwing zero pitches. So, John Curtis. That's interesting. So, John Curtis, congratulations on that. And meanwhile, on that note, with John Curtis, wishing him the best as well. Like Jake here, he's going to undergo Tommy John surgery as well while this is going on.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, because a lot of times, you know, if you, we know this, if you, if you if you start a game in the first and it gets and, and it gets stopped and you never resume what used to happen, you just wipe it out and just restart all over. Yeah. But in this case, it's like, all right, why? <laughs> you know, but here we are We're trying, yeah. to, trying to get as many trying to get as much baseball in that you already played in. And we know how things have changed, you know, post pandemic and everything. So,
0: yeah, this is a little, just-
1: little, little bit of history made.
0: Yeah, this rule with the suspended games instead of just wiping them clean and starting them over took place. It started with that. They revamped that last year because of how tight the schedule was after they restarted. Right. COVID
1: changed COVID. everything. Right. I know.
0: And then Marlon just and MLB just kept it, kept most of those rules into 2021. They kept that. The it's just on silly one. extras. Right. Yeah. No, it's. It's Just silly
1: when it's like a batter or two, and and but yeah. but a rule, but that in, in yeah. writing, that's the rule. So, yeah, to, so
0: the game will resume with somebody pinch running for left fielder Corey Dickerson and Jesus, Aguilar. But I'm ama- yeah,
1: yeah, and Jesus, I'm Aguilar. amazed. I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. I'm still amazed in the history of baseball. There was never a case where the guy came out on the mound, felt a tweak or something, I guess he wouldn't officially. Well, that's the whole thing. I guess he wouldn't officially be recorded in as the starter if he came out, warmed up, something happened, leaves before throwing a pitch. That's how the rule, that's why. I believe I'm it. Yeah. Assuming. That's,
0: that's my understanding of it. Yes.
1: But <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm trying to think of every possible scenario, but I guess it's never really happened if that, if that, yeah. if, that's, if that is indeed the case.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah. So someone will pitch run for Corey Dickerson and take a spot lead off. Uh, Jesus Aguilar will be in the box with a 2 0 count. Marcus Stroman will not be on the mound for the Mets like he was originally because he pitched just two days ago. So if I'm right, the Mets have T.O. Right. Walker, who will come in as the first, first of many relievers, relievers reliever <laughs> starters. And for the Marlins, it will either be Eliezer Hernandez or Eduard Cabrera as the first guy out of the bullpen to relieve John Curtis. And then whichever one of those two doesn't, isn't in that first game will start the seven-inning game. But, yeah, and a this lot is of a, This is a
1: burn – being being a nine-inning one, this is a very car- – be very careful, burn your bullpen game. So that's going to be a nice responsibility there for for whichever guy does come in to, to kind of hold the fort for a few innings and, and, and not tax those arms immediately out of the shoot, considering they have another game right after that and and the four-game series, of course.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, and that's the one thing that's going to be interesting to see how Donnie decides to go with – does he go with – eliezer in the first game where again five innings in a seven in the game really feels like seven but or do you go with edward cabrera who you feel like could potentially throw a complete game in the seven inning game
1: sort of the right
0: your poison type, do, type deal there right
1: do, do you weigh the experience level and go with a more veteran guy who, who's pitched longer in the major leagues or do you take the chance that the rookie can handle it And and can give you at least maybe let's say five and at least gets you, you know, that doesn't tax the bullpen as much. Yeah, it's an interesting choice. I mean, I'd err on the side of experience because it doesn't mean Edward's not going to pitch tomorrow anyway. But you know, that's Donnie's call, and obviously, and you know, but but it's interesting though, because nowadays it's not such an automatic thing that you would go with the guy that has more experience. I think you know, he maybe he would roll the dice and consider it a test, an early test for Edward to see how he handles it.
0: No doubt about it. And to switch to our final bit of news or a bit of discussion for this episode of uh, talk to minor league baseball, Andre. Uh, we, and, yeah. as, and since we went very pitcher heavy in the first half, I feel like we should just dive in, in on the hitters and see how the, hitter, the main hitters each level did throughout the month of August triple a, I mean, really, is there anyone to talk about outside of Levin Diaz? He only hit 338 <laughs> with a 1057 OPS Six home runs, four doubles, thirteen RBI, sixteen runs scored, and only twelve strikeouts in ninety plate appearances.
1: I, I just don't want to talk to about him anymore as a Triple A guy. I want to start talking about him as a Major League first baseman and, and 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 you know recap what he's done and that sort of thing. Because I mean, if you look at that, and again, the twelve strike, I always look at that. The twelve strikeouts and ninety plate appearances. That's that's big. He's seeing the ball well. You know, even if they even if the average and other things aren't there, but the OPS, you know, the power is not a surprise to me, but it's the OPS and the lower, lower amount of strikeouts. He's seeing the ball well, and that that's a good sign. Can't wait till can't wait till he's not the triple A first baseman and is more like the major league first baseman.
0: Yeah. And again, it'll be interesting to see what happens starting Wednesday when the rosters in the big league expand to 28 and also worth right. noting the uh triple a jacksonville gave layman his first start in left field last week so that yeah. may be something to potentially read into as we get into this final month and maybe another potential position flexibility.
1: yeah position flexibility as much as you any player in baseball right now the more you can do the more you increase your value so if, if he could play that as well even better for him
0: yeah uh, going down the double A. A quick note for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, They only played one game last week because the Braves double double A affiliate, the Mississippi Braves, they dealt mm. with the COVID issue, so the games Wednesday through Sunday were washed while they did contact tracing. So they have a little bit of a smaller sample size compared to some of the others. But the positive, as has been the case the last couple of weeks, Peyton Burdick, three fifty two average, ten eighty OPS this month. 12 RBI, 12 runs, 435 average on balls in play. He's been doing what we've been thinking that he would do over this last stretch, and this is a positive positive stride for him to try to finish the season. And on the flip side of that, J.J. Bleday still continuing to struggle. 195 average in August, 18 strikeouts against just 15 hits, uh, 690 OPS this month and a 686 OPS throughout the entire season.
1: Yeah, I mean I would I would go with alarming even more than disappointing, to yeah. be honest, because you know, a lot of a lot was a lot was made of this kid and I really thought too. And and it, you know, not not to punt on it all together. I mean, it's a it's it's a bad season. I just think in the off season they're gonna have to really dig into what what he's kind of struggled with. You know, is it the swing? Is it something in the approach? I mean, what, you know, the, the swing was stuff that we heard about, you know even before, you know, before he arrived and after and things like that. But let's see. I mean, is that the problem? What exactly is it? They're going to have to really dissect. He, he and the Marlins staff go to work and find out what's going on and try to see if he can get back on the right track going into next season because, you know, that would really – if you look in the grand scheme of things, he was one of those bats that they were really counting on to be part of that, that wave of guys that was going to balance the system. So, you know, if it turns out he's not going to be it, Again, I say it's alarming because you you really you, if you look at that draft, you could have had a couple guys who are really tearing it up right now, and you chose to go with JJ, thinking he was going to be another one just like him that could be the next the next standout, even a star of the future for this team. And I'm not saying it, it, there's still time for him to to figure it out, but it is alarming if if this is a sign of things to come. Hopefully, he can. You know, they can figure things out, make some adjustments and and get back toward a productive, you know, on track toward a productive major league career.
0: Yeah. And one other guy in double A, he hasn't had a chance to make his debut at that level. But Cam Meisner, another out an outfielder from that from that draft class, he was the pick right after JJ. Uh, he got promoted to double A last week and we will potentially see his debut as early as or as early as Tuesday up in double A. But again, good to see him. Getting that promotion after the strong tear he had to close out his time Class A events, I think it was twenty-four consecutive games on base.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've liked Cam ever since they picked him. I thought, you know, the the whole thing at Missouri was unfortunate when he had that bad season, but you know, the tools were there. You know, he's a versatile guy too on the defensive side. So good to see him get get in order. And he's another one that you know, I don't I don't know how to what level he may end up being a productive player in the major leagues, but I think he's got a chance. I think that that experience he had you know, it's going to put him on the right track. And, you know, like I said, I mean, he's been able to figure it out. You're talking about Burdick being able to figure it out. That's where it's a little alarming to me going back to the blood day thing is like, this keeps happening. You know, you thought he was starting to come out of it starting to figure things out a little bit, but there's something there that needs to be corrected, I think in the off season. So hopefully they can figure it out.
0: And to round out a few other guys, class A advanced Beloit, Connor Scott, a guy we don't talk about too much. He, this month, he, his OPS was 855, 13 of his 30 hits went for extra bases, seven doubles, two triples, four home runs. He stole five bags as well. And Victor Victor Mesa, since being sent down from A to Class A Advance Beloit in mid-July, VVM's hitting 319 with seven doubles, a triple, four home runs, 17 RBI, eight stolen bases, and 23 runs scored over 34 games. 26 strikeouts in about 150 plate appearances. And this comes after when he was up in double A, he was hitting under hundred.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's a yeah. positive to see that it's better than had he gone back there and struggled there too, but you wonder where's the ceiling, you yeah, know, and exactly. we're not going to know that. We're not going to know that until he gets promoted again and gets another shot at it, say at double A and see if maybe that's tr- what the work that he's doing now translates to there. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, again, like I think his his younger brother, as as you know, a lot of us, myself included, thought was going to benefit from playing stateside baseball since he was at 17, since he signed, you know, and, and it hasn't been an easy go for him either. But he has shown flashes of what he can do. I mean, the OPS is not spectacular, but he's you know six doubles, four triples this week, 11 RBI, so the extra base hits. He's been more on the upward trajectory lately. You know, the the OPS went from 622 in June to 707 in July. So, you know, positive steps. But overall, I think that's the that junior is the one I thought that had the more, you know, the chance to kind of we, we had an episode where we talked about that or how he passed older brother in terms of the development track right now, it seems. And, and let's see, I guess he you know, he'll have his opportunity probably if he keeps progressing to. Head to Beloit maybe next year and, and, and take it from there and see and see how that, that goes. But you know, what's well, it been now? Uh, three, we're we're going on what two, three years now, and we're waiting for the mesas we're going and, on three years,
0: by... but also they didn't have the 2020 season. So
1: it's been and they didn't have the 2020 yeah. season. That's true. In fairness, that that that's fair. But at the same time, you yeah. know, I think I think I'm more excited to see if junior can continue to rise. I mean, Victor Victor, to me, it's like let's see if if he it like it, again, it's a good it's good what he did in Beloit, but now I want to see what he can do at Pensacola once if and when he gets that shot again to, to prove himself at that level and then see if he can keep us in. Yeah,
0: I'm in the same boat as you. And again, I've seen Victor Mesa Jr. a few times when going up to Jupiter and the tools are there, the defense is improving. And again, he's on that upward trajectory offensively over the last three months. And let's see what he does over this final month of the season. And then just the running tabs on some of the draft picks. Khalil Watson's only played in two more games since we last recorded, just that the trouble of balancing all the guys that they have at the rookie league at that rookie league affiliate and trying to make sure everybody's getting at bats. But in those two games, he hit a trip an RBI triple in on one of them and then went three for four with a double in the other. So again, very small sample size. It's only, I think, eight games and thirty at bats, but hitting 400 1080 OPS. Uh, And then one other guy to talk about Tanner Allen, who both of us have had, have thought really highly of since before the draft has slow start in Jupiter, but has hits in eight of his, or has hits in nine of his last 11. So finally starting to get some momentum going his way again, with all of these draft picks, it's still really early and probably not gonna be able to do anything until after the end of the season to start making our initial judgments on these guys.
1: And I did. I did not find any evidence that Bennett Hostetler is related to a former Giants quarterback Jeff Hostetler. By you the keep way, trying, I did Andre. check. You but can keep
0: trying. I tried. Their long-lost distant cousin, nephew, something of something, yeah, third, third, three times removed, something of that nature.
1: Super Bowl winning quarterback, man. I'm telling you. But yeah, but I don't. I don't know about that part of it. But I do know that yeah, the three guys you just mentioned. That's what it's going to be. I think the rest of this season. It's still too early, but. It's good to see them flash some of those tools, flash some of that ability, especially in Khalil's case, because he's the one that a lot of people have considered, you know, one of the biggest steals of this year's draft. And really the steal after you saw that Kumar Rocker didn't end up with the Mets anyway. So the Marlins did get the main the 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 best quality for a later pick, I thought. And then so I think he's gonna the rest of this year, it's gonna be cool to see him start to give you those little glimpses of what he can do and then obviously 2022 is going to be a big developmental year for all of them to, to take that next step.
0: And on that note, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of fish bites. Uh, I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Thanks so much for listening in and we'll be back again next week.